you, Tim. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the good news is it was an amazing Sunday last week and uh, free books were thrown out in the manner that only some churches know how to do. And uh, no, Tim did an amazing job on prayer. How many remember the three words that uh, he headlined on? The first one was? Huh? Hiddenness. The second one was? It's like a bad class on a Friday night, isn't it? Huh? Resilience. Stop on that one. Hiddenness, resilience, and... Rook. Oh, you're good. That's, uh, that's Colin, isn't it? Yeah, I thought so, Colin. Okay, you get a free book afterwards. Any book anybody's got to give to him, just give it to him, okay? So, but um, I want to honor what Tim sowed in here. And you kind of go back there, because if we just hear a word and then say, hey, a great one, good, yeah, and then we move on, we miss the power of what the Spirit is saying to his people. So I wanted just to stop and say those three things, hiddenness, resilience, and root system. Although it was a powerful word. And the embarrassing thing is, is that I can't beat it. And also, um, I'm not going to speak about prayer, but I want to honor the journey of uncovering prayer this church is going through. The reason I'm not going to speak on it is I don't think I've got anything in my track record that I'm still not trying to learn in my own life. And how many of you know you can give a word with a microphone, but it isn't happening in your life, and it has a strange emptiness, and I don't want to do that. I want to honor what God's doing here and what Jonathan has set in motion. I believe it's on track. I just am learning myself at this time to go deeper in prayer. He looks shocked. Does anybody want the microphone then, if you're that eager? But, but can you understand that? Because it is a prophetic journey you're on. I just don't want to add words to it. I want to learn myself how to uncover this extraordinary invitation. Is that okay? What are you going to talk about? I don't know, but we're going to get there, okay? But let me just suggest this, guys. In the middle of all this, I believe, I believe we're in a time of profound, holy disturbance from God. I don't say it lightly, but I want to say it because I think it's begun some time ago. I think it's going on and on. God is moving his people and disturbing all sorts of things. And one of the things he's doing, which I know Tim really has championed, he's returning us to an experience of a first love that for some of us we got wearied and sort of, you know, left a bit. And I think God is stirring a passion again for him and him alone that is like a great awakening. I really do. You all look like, no, I don't. That's okay. I just, I just believe we're in an awakening deep that's going to go on and on. And by the way, I believe it's going to bring great change to the church because he wants to realign his church ready for a chapter coming we don't fully understand, but many of us sense. How many of you sense there is brewing in God, a move of God like we've never seen. Now, I'm not doing the kind of he's coming, he's coming stuff, but I do want to say I honestly believe a great move of God is coming, but I have to be ready and prepared to be with what, how he wants to do things, and I think we're in that season where he's digging deep to unsettle so we're ready for what he wants to do. Amen.
we could go home, couldn't we? How many parents here, um, you know, kind of like woke up this morning and your children were awake at six o'clock as usual, but actually it was five o'clock and you dreaded the length of time that you had to now stay with your kids who were hungry by 6.30. And now they want lunch at 11.30 and I'm going to go on and on talking. You think, what am I going to do? Okay, so here's what I want to do. We took our grandchild home at 11 o'clock last night, so we didn't have to suffer this morning. <laughs> Isn't that mean? I want to go into the book of Hebrews. I want to go into the book of Hebrews. If you turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 12, and I want, in the light of what I just said, I want to just dig around in Hebrews for a moment. Uh, I, I love the book of Hebrews. It's one of my favorites. I think it's the most... Can we pray? I just want to pray. Is that all right? Just put your hand on your heart, could you? And stop. We're not going through a routine. I just really, really want the Holy Spirit to keep coming. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you that your word this morning will be so fresh and hot and rich into our hearts that we'll be more in love with you than ever. We welcome you. Help us. Amen. So the book of Hebrews is one of my favorites. It's a, like a rich um, treasure store. It, it's got so much in it that honestly, I, I just love every bit of it. It's not an easy book. But some years ago, I came to the realization that the best approach to the book of Hebrews was to see it uh, as a discovery how sons and daughters of heaven mature to their very best. It was like a discovery. You know, you can look at it different ways, but I just thought, do you know what? I think the main highway through this book is how sons and daughters come to maturity so at their very best. And somewhere in Hebrews 2, it just says this, he bringing many sons to glory. So uh, Hebrews 12, and towards the end, of, I'll just say this, towards the end of Hebrews, he gets into the whole issue of faith. And we've touched on that already this morning. And he starts to, in Hebrews 11, record a hall of heroes of faith. And how many of you know, without faith, we can't please God? So, so he's calling us all the time to a deeper trust, to dare to believe that if we hang on to him, you'll have the greatest adventure you could ever have in the whole of your life. And so Hebrews 11 records these heroes, Abraham we sang of this morning. And then Hebrews 12 comes on the back of these heroes of faith. I think we should read Hebrews 11 at least once a month. I don't know why I said that, but it sounded right. Just to remind us of who's gone before us. And at the end of Hebrews 11, there's a most extraordinary verse. If we could go to Hebrews 11, guys, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you this. Verse 39. I'm going to read a bit of Hebrews. I know it's not popular to read out Scripture now because people look at their phones and wonder who they should text. But if you could just stay with me in his word, because his word will deeply anchor you to what you're born for. How many of you know there's a contesting over his word right now 
that so many other things are enticing his people, they don't actually dig deep into the thing that they're born for. So here we go, end of Hebrews 11. These were all commended for their what? Their what? Yet none of them received what had been promised. Oh my goodness. How about living the whole of your life and not receiving what was promised? God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect or complete. Guys, just look at me for a minute. I'm just going to ramp around a bit, okay? So here, all these heroes living in the old covenant, believing God for extraordinary promises, being sawn in two, being, you know, cut to pieces, all the stuff that goes on. And it says this at the end of Hebrews 11, none of them receive what they were promised because God had reserved something better for us so that with them and us, his promise would be complete on earth. Isn't that bizarre? You look at stunned. So us being the new covenant inheritors who are called to run our race so that along with their race, the whole of God's plan for creation is fulfilled. That's interesting. So we're joined with previous heroes, aren't we? You are not an isolated unit of belief saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You're not. You're part of a vast um, legacy of heroes who've walked on the earth by faith, not even received what was promised, but then handed the baton to the next generation, the next generation, and now here we are today, the generation taking the baton from those who've gone before. How many of you reckon that's a pretty important part of how God wants his promises to be delivered? We're not isolated units just doing our best. You're part of a vast journey of his people through the ages who now you have the baton in your hand and this is your bit of the race i believe he wants to wake our hearts up like crazy to what heaven is doing so we beat with a passion that's not dutiful religion but it's absolutely radical followers of jesus amen that was the end of hebrews 11 i'm doing my best okay stay with me Therefore, say therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's just stop. I'm going to unpack a few of these verses just for a minute. Um, Where's the cloud of witnesses? Sorry? Or, what, here? What, in this room? How many of you think it's in the room? I'm sorry. Okay. She says I'm messing. I know. Listen, this, listen to me. So here, here's the picture, guys. In the light of all these heroes of faith who've run their race, handed the baton on, now here we are, and I want to suggest in heaven, there is a mass of angels, elders, the four living creatures, Jesus on his throne, come on, the Father himself, an immense joy waving through heaven at the wonder of God unfolding his kingdom on earth. But I want to suggest to you, and you can have a think about it, that heaven isn't way up there somewhere. 
nor is heaven way over there somewhere. I think it's N.T. Wright who says it's like a Venn diagram like this. Heaven and earth are actually incredibly close to each other, and every now and then in a Venn diagram, much of heaven comes on the earth, and people are deeply moved by the presence of God. Did you understand that? So I want to suggest to you, without being spooky, that right now in this room, if we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, they are actually just the other side of a very thin veil, which our natural eyes can't see, but our spiritual eyes get awakened to be aware of at least. Yes? We could pray for an awakening of our hearts today, couldn't we? Keep awakening our hearts to what heaven's doing, Lord. That's the prayer. And so I want to suggest to you the cloud of witnesses does actually surround us in such a way that they look at you and me say, we carried our bat in our day. Come on, guys, run your race with the same passionate faith we did because we got to the end and we want to tell you it's absolutely worth giving your all for this run of faith. Yeah? That's what witnesses do. We, 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 we saw it. We heard it, we touched it, we discovered it, and we got to the end. And we want to tell you, keep running this marathon of faith. That's the message of Hebrews. How many of you think, how many of you got people you know are in that cloud of witnesses because they were in your life and they went to be with the Lord? Wave your hand at me. My goodness. In that cloud of witnesses, do you, know, uh, do you know Nigel Stenning went to be with the Lord a year ago? He moved from here as an absolute hero of faith that we profoundly missed. He moved from here and now he's in that cloud of witnesses. And by the way, while we're at it, we should just send our love to the Stenning family, shouldn't we? What a hero went to be perplexing but he's in the cloud of witnesses and people you know are in that cloud of witnesses and I want to suggest it's more real than you can imagine I don't fully understand it I'm not invited to talk to them by the way but I am invited to hear their chair cheer in my heart saying now it's your baton in your hand run this race and keep the faith to the very last breath how many of you picture doing that you know, Paul says in 2 Timothy, he said, I fought the good fight of faith. <laughs> Why is it a good fight? Because it's worth it. I've completed the race. I've completed it. And I've kept the faith. I want to pray for you, dear men and women today, that the Holy Spirit will keep giving you a resilience to keep with the faith that you were given so that you finish the race really, really well. Don't you want to do that? How many of you in for the long haul? Yeah, right to the last breath. So this cloud of witnesses is saying, it is worth it. Do you know what? Um, Supposing you were running your race with an, uh, an arena full of previous athletes who'd run their race and they were shouting and cheering, come on, Maria, come on, Maria, run, run. You'd think, wow, they've run their race. Of course I will. Let's carry on reading. <laughs> Since they're there, 
There's three things the writer says. Let us throw off everything that hinders. That's the first one. And the sin that so easily entangles. That's the second. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Is it up there? Oh, look at that. Hey, guys, can you just stay in this word for a minute? What's an encumbrance like? It's something like a bit of ivy that tangles itself around you so that your race is hampered because there's still a tanglement that's holding you back from the full run you were born for. What, what kind of things would that be? I don't know, things like cares and worries, wouldn't it? Heavy weights that are making you anxious. Uh, one, one commentary said, it's very often a wound that's hit inside you and now you're no longer running your full race. Like the tip of an arrow that goes in here and for some reason you just feel dampened from the vigor of what you used to love running with. And the writer's saying, hey guys, don't have an encumbrance that tangles around you and stops you running what you were born for because there are heroes through the ages who now look at you and say, you've got the baton, don't lose the faith, run with all your heart. And you say, yes, but all of this stuff has made me so wearied. And that wound was the last straw. How many have ever been through those kind of battles? Yeah, and, 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 and then someone preaches on forgiveness. You think, it's all very well, but for crying out loud, I... Yeah, but there are keys that you can turn to get rid of the encumbrance so you begin to run again, because I've experienced it when I went to the very bottom of my life and realized there was a way out, but it'd be very humbling to turn those keys to get out and run again. And the writer's saying, look, don't let an encumbrance, whether it's an anxiety, you know, whether it's a wound. They say that in every room full of believers, there are at least 70% who are carrying a wound they haven't been able to forgive yet. Wow. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems whenever I talk on forgiveness and ask for people to respond, it's like all these hands go, yeah, because our hearts get hit. And the tip of the arrow is horribly painful. So I'm earmarking it. If you have, get someone and say, look, I want to get rid of this painful wound that's clinging to my journey and it's subdued my faith. And then the second thing is the sin that so easily does what? Which one's which? Oh, I've done the entangling. Well, they're both, aren't they? The sin that so easily entangles has anybody, don't put your hand up, has anybody ever struggled with addiction? I had an addiction. Don't ask me what it is. It's not your business. But it's okay, isn't it, sometimes to say, do you know what, I've had a wrestle with this, I've had a wrestle with this, and if you want to know, come and ask me afterwards, and I'll decide, no. But, but do, do you understand, sometimes you think you're dogged by something you just can't get free of, and it subdues the joyful run you were born for. And I want to pray today that the grace of God will come upon us to get rid of encumbrances and sins that entangle us 
And so that you have a freedom to keep running what you were really made to run for. And here's what you were made to run for. I'm going way off what I meant to say, but let's stay with it. Here's what you were, you see, here's the deal. I'm going to look at someone who's, I can't see anybody here. I can see, I can see Dave. Lovely guy. I met Dave this week. He's fab. See, here's the deal is, every one of us in this room has actually been given a race marked out for us. And it's not the same race as the person next to you. And if it's marked out for you, it's perfectly suited to the way he made you with every part of your personality, your gift, your, your love, your craziness. It's a race by a father who says, this is the best race you could ever have on earth. And I've marked it out, not as a restriction, but as a wonderful sense of adventure. This is the race marked out for you. You know, I, um, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We need reminding every now and then when we're wearied and dampened, there's a father who is the ultimate cheerer on of you in your one race while on earth. And the thing about all of this Hebrews 12 is it's reminding you there's an eternal perspective as to the reason you're on the earth. You're going to meet him at the end, aren't you? He's coming back. The king is coming back. And he's already on his throne, bringing everything to a wonderful conclusion. And you have the baton in your hand right now from all those heroes. And there's a race marked out for you that is the best you could ever have. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Listen, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. How many of you are still discovering what kind of father he wants to be to you in the way he brings you on his race for you is quite a deal, isn't it? I'm not going to have time today, but I really wanted to talk about the way he disciplines us to help us run better. But it's such an unpopular subject, I'm hoping to avoid it for a little bit. Because that's the story of Hebrews 12, guys. I wish, I sincerely wish, I'd love to open it up sometime, but because we avoid words like discipline because we think it makes him look like an angry father and we want a sugar daddy. But what he's after is a profound bringing many sons and daughters to glory by having them on the most glorious race marked out you could ever imagine. Can I just look at you somehow personally and say, you have a race that no one else can run on. And in the church, forgive me being a little bit blunt, in the church, there are often many orphan hearts who are jostling to get onto each other's race because thereby they think is the significance they long for if they can push onto that position, that race, that part. And so orphans jostle to be getting what they want because they're crying out for significance and to be noticed. But your race is from a father who sees you as a son and daughter and says, 
dear daughter, this is the race. I, and no one else can run on it except you because this is your run on earth to express how he made you to an orphan planet. That's quite good news, isn't it? You can't, I can't run your race. I'm sorry to have a bit of a rant, but far too many believers look to a leader to help them find out what their race is rather than the Father who's already set it for you. I know the plans I have for you. Please hear me. We are not in a church. Oh, okay, calm down. <laughs> okay. Three things. I'm backing off. Did you hear that? I'm backing off. Three things. Get rid of the encumbrance. Get rid of the sin that entangles. Get a friend. Say, help me. I don't want this dogging my life. And then run the race with, what's the word? Perseverance. Say it. It's a highly valued quality in the Bible, the run of faith, and it's not a very popular quality in the instantness of this world of how I feel. Oh, I don't feel like that. That's not what I want. No, let me tell you, perseverance, steadfast sticking at it, is highly valued. Why? Because there's a prize at the end from the Father who says, well done. Paul said, I, I fought a good fight of faith. I don't know where I'm going, but this is okay, all right? The race marked out for us. Um, so I want to pray because in, in a minute, I keep saying praying. That's because I'm meant to be doing prayer today, okay? It's, it's just Jonathan's praying there. Please get him. Please, please. See, I believe the chapter we're heading for is the most profound release of sons and daughters to the calling they've had deep inside for years, but it's never quite emerged because it hasn't somehow found the space to, but I believe we're being taken to a place where sons and daughters will be released to profound callings that have been in your heart for decades. Let's just read on. <laughs> Verse 2. You okay? You have much choice, have you? Hmm. I just finished with this. Sorry, I finished. What I mean is, can I come back to it? I'm sorry. But I... I I think in the church, we've got to get rid of orphanness. We really have, because the joy of being a son and daughter loose to run the race is very different to a squeezed up model where everybody wonders who's going to get the top job. I'm sorry, there ain't no top jobs. It's been taken by the king himself. I'm going to say it again. Please, please, please stop looking to the wrong people to release your calling when the only person you're meant to look to is the king himself who called you in the first place. And the pressure when you can't find it is you try and get someone else to recognize it or help you or open the door for you. And all the time the king's saying, will you come to me? I called you in the first place. Now follow me. Wouldn't it be amazing if leadership was, was um, what's the word, um, was freed from that pressure? Wouldn't it? You would look stunned, like, I'm serious, guys. I do believe the Holy Spirit wants to release some callings, but it's not going to be like we knew it. 
sons and daughters, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Okay, let's read on. We must read some scripture. Verse 2. <laughs> By the way, I was going to speak on 12 verses today, and we've done one verse in 25 minutes. So woe betide your lunch, eh? <laughs> Why do we always think about lunch on Sundays? Let us fix our eyes on who? I mean, Tim's been doing it for crying out loud. Let, and so, so here's the great call in the race. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's called a resetting when our eyes have gone to many other situations, places, and people rather than the king who called us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is profound. Just stay with me. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Here's what I want to try and just kind of come to. So Jesus is the ultimate example of what I'm trying to talk about. Why? Why? Because in his own journey, and by the way, he is the first true son on earth. Fully son. In his journey, he was, he was if you like, journeying to the cross the most painful, awful, how can you describe it? Deeply, we sung it this morning, extraordinary event. He's journeying to the cross. He sees it. He knows what it's going to mean. And I want to just take you quickly, if I may, to Mark. Come with me to Mark, first, uh, chapter 14. <clears throat> and verse 35. And this is a key understanding of sonship. Okay, Mark 14, I'm going to go from 35. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. How many of you have ever prayed that kind of prayer? Oh God, please, please don't let this happen or please take this from me. It's so excruciatingly painful. And then he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. <laughs> Take this cup from me. Abba, the deep, intimate, trusting closeness of the relationship we're invited to. Abba, Father, the full measure of his extraordinary Godhead as Father, Abba, Father, everything is possible. In other words, you can fix this with the breakthrough they all tell me about. How many of you love a breakthrough? We do, don't we? Of course we do. And of course that's absolutely part of his promise. Abba, Father, everything is possible to you. I'm telling you this, guys, because I believe here lies some of the foundation of true sonship and daughterhood is a complete surrender to his absolute fathering of us at the worst of times. 
Abba, Father, everything. It's like he's saying, God, right now you can take this cup away from me. You can do it. I know you can. I know who you are. Would you do it? Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Okay. This passage has really spoken to me over the years. Can I say again, true sonship and daughterhood is not about having a sugar daddy who does whatever I want because it's all about what I want. How many of you have figured that? I love the discovery of God's fathering. It's transformed my life. But I cannot invent him to be the kind of daddy I'd like him to be so that really in the end, I just get what I really want because he loves me. But he does love me. I think God's crazy about every one of us. But I want to make sure we're aware that true sonship and daughterhood is the ultimate surrender of trust that says, I love this father, but nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want, fill my path. Because I actually believe that's the very best I could ever have. And what I wanted to talk about this morning that I haven't is the capacity to endure hardship while running a good run of faith and not doubt your sonship or daughterhood just because hardship has filled your path. He's the same father as he always wants to be. Does that make sense to you? Can you, can you stay with me? I, I know this is a delicate area, but and I don't have much time, but I, I, I wanted to just go there in our race that we're running because I believe if we don't understand his profound goodness, even in hardship, we become offended, we grow weary, and we fall off the race marked out for us. You say, it's all right for you. I think every one of us goes through real, real, real valleys, don't we? Losses, pains, hits, perplexities. I want to say to you, I believe in God. Even in those things, if we can work our way through, we become more sons and daughters than ever because now it's not dependent on whether he comes up with the goods I want. It's much deeper. I've got the pattern. I'm going to express why I'm here to my last breath and then hand the baton on to the next generation and the next generation until he comes back. And when Jesus prays that in the garden, then we go back to Hebrews, if we may, just quickly to Hebrews, um, where I was reading. <laughs> just, just um, uh, where's Hebrews gone? Anybody? Okay, let's, here we go. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? For the joy set before him. Here's what I want to suggest to you. I know I'm trying to untangle this. Here's what I want to suggest to you. In the race, right, there are hardships that come into the path that are so painful, it's the death of me scorning the shame of the cross, he endured that for the sake of the joy. What was Jesus' joy in going to the cross? Huh? Who? We were? Hands up if you think it was you. Well, it's not many of you. Well, the rest of you. Um, 
Okay, here's my suggestion. The joy set before him that caused him to be able to endure incredible, incredible one-off cross-like pain. The joy was twofold. I want to suggest it was number one, he did what his father wanted. That's a joy. Please, can you hear me? If you, if you do what your Father in heaven wants, I, I promise it's the greatest joy in the end, even if it takes you through hardship you thought was unbearable. You may think that's a little bit over the top, but I do believe it. I think every one of us in varying degrees has been there in our race. The moments of incredible pain where you're not sure you can endure it. And furthermore, you cannot see if God's a good father, why he'd ever do it this way. Did you understand? And so it takes us to the very bottom of surrender where we say, nevertheless, Lord, I want what you want, not what I want. Because I actually believe you are in the end the good father I most need. And so here's Jesus. I believe the first joy was doing the will of his father. But I do believe the second joy that took him there is you. It's you. It's me, isn't it? He so wanted you that he was willing to endure that level of the cross so that he could have you as one of his brothers or sisters. And so Hebrews says he's not ashamed to call you his brother and his sister. That's remarkable. <laughs> and, what, and what the writer's doing, is says, in your race, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. How many of you here first got faith because you brewed it up, cooked it up, found it, stomped your feet, whatever? How many of you got faith that way? That's a relief because it never came that way. Faith comes from the king himself where he plants a seed of faith in your heart and says, I'm giving you this faith to dare to believe me and I want you to start a race and I will perfect your faith as you go through all the trials, the hardships, the pains, the joys, the fruitfulness, but your eye is always on me, the author and the perfecter. And then it finishes up. Well, we've got to finish because I'm looking at the lunch clock. Verse 3. Just look at it. Consider who, him who endured such opposition from sinful men. <laughs> How many of you had any opposition here? Anybody had opposition in your walk of faith? Anybody ever suffered opposition from believing? By the way, isn't it amazing that two-thirds of the body of Christ in this world are now in persecution? <sighs> I'm trying. Two-thirds of the body of Christ are now in persecution in this earth. Let me tell you, the Lord is raising up sons and daughters in every nation because they've discovered a depth and length with him as a father they would never find if everything was sugar deal right. And it may be that in the West he's disturbing consumer faith because he's so passionate to get the sons and daughters he gave his son for. Do you think? So the great waking up in my own life, my two prayers the last two years for, for Sue and I, our two prayers have been this, Lord, please wake us up. And then our second prayer is, Lord, 
Here we are. Will you send us? Here we are, Lord. We've got a strange track record. I've fallen off the journey. I've made a mess of things. I've wondered whether I can get the race back because it went so wrong. And yet he's a father. He seems to have this incredible ability to lift your head again and say, come on, the race is on. I have this incredible ability to weave even the worst of messes back into a journey that's even richer because that's the kind of God I am. I can weave what you think was such a failure. I can weave it so that your race is even richer than ever. The race, isn't that a mystery? If it's already marked out, how can he deal with my mess? Because he's a father whose plans are never to harm us. Consider him, consider him, consider him. And maybe your prayer today can be the same. Lord, wake my heart up to this great journey. Why does it say, let's finish off end of verse 3, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can I, can I just finish in this? In the, uh, when Tim was talking about hiddenness last week, I believe the best place to fix your eyes on Jesus is in the secret place. You know, do you understand? I, I honestly believe the call is come right back to that secret place. That place where you are so just you and him and you fix your eyes on Jesus, the lover of your soul, the shepherd of your journey, the king of your heart, and you say, Jesus, once again, I surrender all to you because I want to run the run of faith fight a good fight of faith finish my race and never lose faith how many of you know someone here who has lost their faith at this time raise your hand at me anybody have someone close to you who's not just not got their hand in God's hand at this time we're going to pray for them in a minute there's more of you than that. Let me say it again. How many of you know someone who at this time hasn't got their hand in God's hand and they're kind of close to you in some way? Hmm. Can I suggest to you that... Um, Learning about the discipline of heaven is worthwhile doing. And can I suggest to you, it's nothing to do with God being cross or punishing or giving you a little bit of a smack again. That's the completely wrong view of his fathering. But I want to say it again. I believe his discipline in Hebrews 12 is well worth us discovering. Because I sense in the years ahead, some saints are going to get offended at what happens because they didn't really understand the nature of the race as a son and daughter. So I want to suggest to you, these things are really important for us in getting ready so we're not offended when difficult things happen, when persecution comes because we've gone way deeper in the wonder of who he really is to every one of us. So I'm going to just pray now. I don't, I'm going to finish. I'm going to pray. 
children are ready, are they? Oh, I'm sorry. My clock said 12 o'clock. I'm sorry. Okay. Can I stand up for a minute, do you mind? you'd like uh, Jesus to brighten your hearts at this time more than ever? Would you wave at me if you'd like that? You just want Jesus to brighten your heart. It's kind of like no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> okay, here's the second one. How many of you can say to him, here I am, Jesus. You can send me anywhere you want. Wave at me if you've got that one in your heart. Ooh. a sincere prayer in many of you here. I saw the kind of like, well, half. <laughs> but I'm not sure. He may actually take me up on it. Uh, that's been Sue and I's honest, extraordinary adventure the last few years. It's just, God, what is going on? But we know it's you. And we don't want to go anywhere else but where you're taking us. So I'm going to pray for you all. I'm not sure I'm going to pray, so just wait a minute. Can you in his presence hold your hand out to him, can you? Father, I thank you for the incredible race, the marathon that you've given us the baton in these days to trust you, to run with you, to fulfill why we're here. Now, Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room. Father, I, I ask you that there will come such an awakening of our hearts with the joy and the passion of heaven in us. Father, I pray for radical men and women who grab the baton and says, it's my turn, I'm going to go all the way with it. Father, I pray especially in the room here for any who are weary and losing heart that you'll lose grace on their path today to feel the upward pull again and to feel the hope that, Father, you have plans still to unfold for them. Let's start where we finished, or let's finish where we started. That's the better way around. We're going to sing that beautiful song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let's sing it with me and just declare it.